title of this morning's message, What is the Cost of Closeness? And we're going to see what that costs relative to God and what it costs to be close to Him in this text. But it's true even just in our own relationships. If you're going to be close to somebody, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you to be near anyone. And maybe that's most evident if you think through your relationships with uh, your spouse, really. About, remember back to when you were courting or dating or dorting or whatever they called it. You know, that, that time where you're trying to, you know, the, the man's trying to woo the woman and the, and the dear lady is trying to ignore the man or something like this. Um, but as I dated Aaron, you know, I, I came off really thoughtful because uh, I was in one way more back then. I was writing notes and leaving them places like on her windshield wiper to go find. I was planning and scheming date nights, outings. I, I was putting effort into how can we share life together. And that took time is one of the costs. And it took literal money, which I had very little of, especially then. But I wanted to do it. Uh, it was no real sacrifice in that way at all. And I'd say we felt close, at least close enough to, you know, get married by the end. But then once you get married uh, and you have kids and there's all these responsibilities, you have more demanding jobs, taking care of wherever you live. Uh, Spouses, I think, even despite all of that, you might not feel so close. Perhaps other things have begun to monopolize our attention. Things or people that really aren't so worthy of our time and attention, especially you compare it to what that closeness costs you. Uh, that initiated that marriage relationship. And could we not just share that same story over again as repeated in our own relationship with Christ? I mean, as new Christians, uh, uh, we love spending time with God's people. We love spending time with the Lord, reading His Word, serving others in His name. And then, you know, things get familiar, like it does with family. We start to drift. Uh, We lose steam or enthusiasm. We grow dry. We start to call on other things more to, to feel close to. Well, well, this sermon really serves to pave the way back, back to a closer relationship with God, but that only through Jesus Christ. And it's pictured for us in this text in Exodus 29, as we see these priests, they are being commissioned to be close and be with God. They're going to draw near to God through worship, but there's a process, steps they're taking to get there. And so with that, It has to strike Israel as they would have read this text and experienced it and lived it. And it must strike us as we read these things given to us by God. That getting this close to God, it doesn't come easy. And it's not free. It comes at a great cost. And so, brothers and sisters, do not squander what Christ has bought you or earned from you or for you in your relationship with God. Rather, draw near. Take these steps to draw near to Christ this very morning, right here, right now through His Word. And so that turns then to really the theme this morning, what steps can I take to draw closer in my relationship with God? What steps can I take to really know Him as we really run through this text in Exodus 29? And the first step we must take to draw near to this God is we have to be humble. If you're going to know this God, you've got to humble yourself before Him. And we're going to see this in verses 1 to 9. Uh, verses 1 to 9 for the priests as they're getting close to God. What's happening here, they're accumulating the resources they're going to need to be consecrated, set apart, made holy to be in God's presence. But as they're accumulating all these things, it really means if they're going to get close to God, they got to be humbled. 
This is humbling. You might even say humiliating because they understand they can't just walk in on God. Uh, There's all kinds of preparation that needs to take place. And that's even in addition to, so last week we studied chapter 28. That's how this works when you're consecutively going through the Bible. We were at chapter 28 last week, so here we are at 29. But what do we see in chapter 28? We saw the high priest's garb, and in all of its beauty and adornment, the stones that were on the, you know, the breast piece as he went on. But that wasn't enough, evidently, because we have chapter 29. All of the beautiful adornment that didn't make the priest able to go into the presence of God. He still had to be prepped, cleansed, provided for, if he's ever going to take control. And that's what chapter 29 is really all about, the preparation, purification, the ordination of the priests of this ministry that they can intercede for the people of God. And they need to be prepped and purified if they're ever going to get close to him. And so understand, even as we see this about Israel and the Old Covenant, God's too teaching us this very moment what is needed to get close to him. Now, with that said, we're not to devote ourselves to the same principles or same rituals, right? We're not under this old covenant. Uh, We have a far greater priest in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been talking about that over the past weeks. But there are still spiritual parallels here, perhaps not in the rituals we observe, but in our hearts. We have to have the same kind of posture before God that's represented by these rituals. And in the first place, We just see if these priests are going to be made ready for this ministry. Again, they have to have these things prepared for them. And that's where it begins in verse 1. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Then it starts to list the kind of things that need to be accumulated and prepared for this. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish. So we see there that the things they need to get these priests ready, you're going to need a bull, verse 1, with two rams, and then it goes on, and you're going to need some unleavened bread cakes. And then in verse 4, to be summarized here, we're going to see that the priests need to be washed in a special way, and then they need to be robed in their special outfits. We see that in verses 5 and 6, and then also anointed with oil. But as we've already highlighted, these are just the initial preparations for what unfolds through this rather long chapter here in chapter 29. But in the end, every step is telling us this is humbling them. This is humbling the priests. Because no matter what garb you put on, no matter, don't you dare of yourself go into that sacred tent. Don't you dare of yourself get near this God without all of these preparations being made. Why? Well, we know what's separating them, right? It's sin. Sin is that thing that is like a wedge between us and God and has put us far from him. And that he's so holy, not sinful, and we are, that if we get too close, it is dangerous for us. You can't mess with this God. And so the first step is to see, yeah, you can have all the special garb priests, but you need sin dealt with. you got to humble yourself. You have no right, you have no claim to come into this God's bedroom, so to speak. You have no claims here of yourself. And that applies to us, too. We have no right to come before God. We've disobeyed Him. We've turned from Him. But we have to be careful where we make these parallels. Because you've got to understand, first of all, the good news of the gospel is not, well, clean yourself up first, you know, get your life together, and then you can come to faith in Christ. That's not how this works. That's not good news if you're having to get yourself all cleaned up first. Because you'll never get clean enough to get before this God. 
The gospel, the good news, thankfully, is you don't have to earn your right into God's presence through some kind of confessions or penance or some changed habits or, you know, I have enough sober days to make up for my bad ones. So it's true. The good news of Christ's death is this. Sinner, whoever you are, Christ wants you. And even with your sin, just come to him by faith. He wants you to come, but... He wants you to come even with all your sin. This is true. But he doesn't permit you to come still holding on to your sin. He doesn't permit you to come and not be sorry for your sin. And to not be grieved over your sin. And to not be repentant for your sin. So, to clarify, you don't need to develop a track record of repentance before you are invited to draw near. But as you draw near, you come humbly saying, I have wronged you, I have sinned, and I want to put my sin away. There's nothing you can physically do to get ready to be with this God. But you can prepare your heart. And that begins by humbling yourself, confessing your rebellion and unworthiness. That's step one. What's the next step we need to take? Verses 10 to 14, you need to find forgiveness with this God. Such as confessing our unworthiness means we're confessing that we have sinned, that we have rebelled, that we've disobeyed. And that means a confession, we need mercy. We need forgiveness is the word here. And so you must find it with God for your many sins, verses 10 to 14. And so this bull that was noted in verse 1 Well, now we find out what he's needed for. This bull is needed as we turn to verse 10. And just, of course, to be clear, what is bull? A bull is, at the least, it's a very large livestock. This is a big animal. And the point is, as we'll see throughout this, he has a lot of blood in him. And you're going to need all of that blood if you want to get near this God. Because what's the purpose of this bull? Well, it comes out in what kind of offering this is. And that's noted at the end of verse 14. Look there. You see at the end of verse 14, what's the bull going to be used for? He's going to be used for a sin offering. It's an offering that deals with sin. That namely deals with the priest's sin, interestingly, right? Before the priest can ever be right with God to minister on behalf of the people, like we talked about last time, he's got to get right with God first himself. And that means his own sins have to be dealt with, and that's what this whole process is about. And so how will his sins be dealt with through this sacrifice? Well, in the first place, you see this bull that's brought before the Lord, it needs to be linked to the priest, to this sinful priest, actually. And that's shown as they lay their hands on the animal's head. Look at verse 10. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. That's the sacred tent where God will dwell. So you bring it basically to God's doorstep. And when you bring the bull, Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. What is this for? It's to link them, to identify with them. The priest is going to identify with the bull that the bull can stand for him in his place. So then, what does that mean next? Look at verse 11. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You're going to kill this bull on God's doorstep. Why? What is this about? What is this saying? But that the priests, guess what they are? They're sinners. These are sinful priests, and they understand 
I should die before the presence of God. I should be the one to die on his doorstep, but I'm identifying in this bull, and the bull's going to die in my place. It's a substitute. We talk about this, a vicarious substitute, one that stands, a vicarious sacrifice, rather, that stands in our place, that dies in our place. Taking the judgment we should have had for our sin, remember, the wages of sin, what you earn for your disobedience, is death. So this is saying, here's the one to die for me, it's the bull. Now, this gets pictured even in more detail on the Day of Atonement, the high holy day of Israel, where they atone for the sins of all the people. And in that great day of atonement, this very thing was done. The hands were placed on the sacrificial animals. But that case is even more explicit about what goes on here. I want to preview some of it for you. Here is Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21. On the great day of atonement, here's what happens. Aaron, who's then the high priest, commissioned. And it says, He shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send the goat away into the wilderness by a hand of a man who is in readiness. But what's going on? As he's placing his hand on the animal... The sin is transferring, moving from the priest to the animal. And it happens with two animals on the Day of Atonement. One animal dies like this bull does, but then another animal provides this other picture we just read about here in Leviticus 16 of what forgiveness looks like. The animal bears the sin, but then he's taken out of the camp. He's led away by this man in readiness. And this is what forgiveness is. The sin that creates that fracture between you and God, on one hand, you could say it's been paid. It's been dealt with. That's why God can forgive. He put out the judgment. He killed, had someone die in your place. That's one aspect of forgiveness. Another aspect is, though, is that it's as your sins are removed from you. They are pulled away from you. They're pulled off you, and they're put somewhere else. That's what's being pictured by the goat that was led away. That's what's pictured in Psalm 103 when it describes, as far as the east is from the west, so far has the Lord removed our transgressions from us, right? And even that, this picture of forgiveness, of the sins being taken off and taken away, that's pictured here even in Exodus 29. That's why those most unclean parts of the offering, they are then escorted out of the camp just as the priest's sins are carried right out of the camp with God. Look at verse 14 of Exodus 29. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung, you shall burn with fire, but where? Outside the camp. Why? Because it's a sin offering. I mean, wouldn't it be marvelous to have your sin just taken off you and then burned up and it's gone like it was never there? Because it doesn't stick to the priest anymore. It's been transferred and carried away and put to death. It doesn't exist, such that when God looks at his people, he sees no more sin. It's gone. But I trust that you understand, as we've seen throughout Exodus, these sacrifices, like we saw last week, the priest's garments, the whole tabernacle facility, they're just pictures. They're pointers. 
They are types and signs of a great heavenly reality where Christ has actually died for sin, rose from the dead, and now is at the Father's right hand for his people as their great one sacrifice. Because get this, the author of Hebrews in the New Testament, he explains really what's going on, that these are all pictures, because he says this, Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, for it is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What's the author of Hebrews getting at? The blood of a bull or a goat or a lamb or a thousand lambs or a million bulls could never satisfy, could never be a worthy substitute for the soul of a man. We are made in the image of God. Animals are not. And some animal not in, cannot stand in your place. You see how that works? But guess what? There is one who came from heaven and took on the image of God as man. And he came and he lived the life you could never live. And he was the only one that didn't deserve to die because he never sinned. So then he could be a blameless sacrifice for our sins dying in our place. And that's what the Lamb of God who actually takes away the sin of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done. So back to the book of Hebrews, get this. While the offerings of bulls and goats, these are all just pictures, it could never actually deal with sins, could never actually cleanse your conscience, could never finally deal with your guilt, could never actually make you perfect. There is one sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has settled the matter for good. Listen to Hebrews 10, verse 10. For by God's will, we have been sanctified. How? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And note this, once for all. And if that's now done, that means we really have forgiveness. The author of Hebrew goes on, and where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. If Jesus really dealt with sin, you don't need any more sacrifices. If your sins have really been forgiven, paid for, put away at Christ's cross, there's nothing more you can do or could do. It's settled. So brothers and sisters, get this. If you've hid yourself in Christ, the picture is, if you have put your hand, so to speak, at the foot of the cross where Christ has died and confessed your sins there, transferring, so to speak, your sins to him, as he died and paid the price, then God sees you as blameless, spotless, sinless, fully forgiven. And get this, you can't be more forgiven than you are right now by the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is found there, finally, fully, and forever. There's no other place we can turn. Okay, once we've found forgiveness with God, what happens next? What's the next response, the next step we can take to get closer? And it's this, dedication. Dedicate yourself wholly to God, verses 15 to 18. And as we return to Exodus 29, this is pictured in the next sacrifice that's given here in worship. And you'll notice in verse 18, the kind of sacrifice it's called, it's called a burnt offering, or sometimes also called a whole burnt offering given to the Lord. And how this sacrifice works, it works like the other ones mainly that we've seen, The priests, again, identify themselves with this time. It's a ram. They lay their hands on its head in verse 15. And what are they saying? This lamb stands in for me in this worship ceremony such that it has to die 
because I deserve to die. Verse 16. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood, and you shall throw it against the sides of the altar. Again, what does it take for a sinner to get near God? It takes death of something. It takes blood. It takes judgment. In this case, substitution. But this time, unlike last time, the whole animal is now consumed on the altar. No parts are taken for anything else. We saw with the, the sin offering, right? The, those most unclean parts were taken away and they were taken out of the camp. Later on, we'll talk about the fellowship offering where you get to eat part of the sacrifice, not here. Everything stays on the altar and it stays to be burned. Look at verse 17. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. This is a sacrifice of dedication. No part of the animal is taken away. No part of the animal is used for anything else. It just burns there on the altar. It's all given over to the Lord, wholly devoted to Him. Now, how did this begin? The priests at the beginning, they were identifying with the animal, right? And they're saying, this animal stands in for me. And now the animal is being put on the altar to be wholly burned up to say what? The worshiper saying, I want to be that animal. I want to be wholly devoted to you. I don't want anything else holding back. I want to be all yours, wholly yours. I don't live for me. I live for you. That's what the burnt offering saying in worship. Now, while this is right in Exodus 29, this is about the priests getting ready to be ministers. But understand, the priests right now, they are just average Joe Israelites being sanctified for worship. The point is, this whole burnt offering later on, this is, a, this is an offering every Israelite should be giving unto the Lord. A whole burnt offering. A sacrifice of total commitment and devotion. And that hasn't changed. Doesn't Jesus demand the same from us? Whole devotion? Whether it's the call, like in Luke 9, when Jesus says himself, this is Luke 9, 23, you know this. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, what does he say? Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, Luke says, and follow me. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to daily die to yourself. Amen. The Christian life isn't, you know, you do you. It's you do Jesus, which means you do death to you. And in case it's not clear, he finishes with this and he says, For whoever would save his life, oh, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. The only proper response to the kind of forgiveness we were talking about he accomplished at the cross, the, the only kind of proper response to his mercy is humble devotion and worship. Similarly, think about the book of Romans. You know, what's the book of Romans about? It's really an explanation of the good news, the gospel, that Jesus came to die while we were still sinners to show his great love. That's what the gospel is all about. And he's explaining that through Romans chapters 1 through 11. But then he turns in chapter 12. Remember that? And how does it read? 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, note this, by the mercies of God, because God is so good, He's so merciful in Christ, how should you respond? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the picture of the burnt offering. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's the dedicated to our Redeemer. Could it be that God doesn't feel close this morning because you keep holding back from Him? Right? You're like, hmm... I'll put my foot on the altar for a while. We'll see how this goes. He's not, he's not inviting you to a 30-day trial period, and then you can sign up for a full membership if it goes okay. He's not asking for partial devotion. You know, you can have my speech, you can have the way I talk about others, but you can't have my checkbook or my banking app, right, these days. You can't have my job success or climbing the corporate ladder. You can't have my thought life. You can be Lord of that, but you can't be Lord of this over here. Which, by the way, when you're talking about your Lord like that, is He much of a Lord after all? No wonder He doesn't feel close. Because you're not trusting Him. It's like your doctor prescribes for you, you know, an antibiotic, and to get rid of the infection, you're supposed to take it every day for like two weeks or until it runs out. And more often, we're like this. I'll take it one or two days, and I'm complaining because I don't feel better yet. Well, that's not how it works. You trust your doctor. You take it the two weeks. You trust Jesus Christ to redeem you. You trust what He says, and you obey His Word. Christ is not after, more importantly, he's not worthy of partial dedication or obedience. He's the kind of Savior who redeems you from sin and death. He's worthy of our everything. What's holding us back? Dedicate yourself to him. Take the next step closer and be set apart to serve him. Verses 19 to 25. While these first sacrifices were or could be later made by any Israelite, uh, this next one's special. It's just for the priests. It's called an ordination offering. And it was part of what really set them aside to serve as priests to God. But you will find, as we read here, it's much the same as the other sacrifices we've seen. Again, the priests lay their hand, in this case, on another ram's head. He's identifying with the animal. It's standing in for him, and of course, the animal has to die, and the blood is then splashed around as usual, but a little bit differently here. Let's look at verse 20. So they got the blood as they normally do, but now it gets a little different. Let's read verse 20. And you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet and then throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. So if you did not yet think things had gotten weird, they got weird really quick to us. I mean, what's up with putting blood on earlobes and big toes? This appears to be a sign of just total devotion. From head to toe, you are devoted, dedicated to God and His service. 
This is what in the end, through this whole sacrifice, will set them apart. They're going to be holy, separate from sin, finally ready to serve God, which is what happens at the end of verse 21. Note this. It says, after all this ceremony, this part of it, he and his garments, speaking of the priest, shall be holy, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. The idea is, shall be holy, set apart to serve God, ready to receive things from God, which is what happens next. Look at verse 24. And you shall put all these things on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. So this other ram, as part of the sacrifice, He's then placed into the outstretched arms of Aaron and his sons. The point is to fill their hands with the sacrifices. What is this about? Actually, here it's pretty important because in verse 22, we read about a ram of ESV has ordination. Literally, it's a ram of filling. They are being ordained that is filled with the hands of the priestly task. And it's pictured here as the very sacrifice is put right into their hands, into their palms. And they're to wave it before the Lord, which means they raise it up to him and receive it back. Raise it up to him and receive it back. But what's the point? They're being filled with the mission. They're being preoccupied now with the task. They're commissioned to the service of making sacrifices before God. And this is where we pause and we go, well, isn't that nice? I mean, good for them. What does this have to do with me and in the new covenant, right? Well, get this. Did you know that if you are in Christ and you've been forgiven by Him, you're actually now yourself a temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Know by this, by the death of Christ, you're already ordained and commissioned to minister for Him. Did you know that this morning? If you didn't, let me remind you. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. The book opens with this praise to the Lord Jesus. And it says, To Christ, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I mean, this is the forgiveness we've been talking about, right? Jesus, by his blood, we are forgiven. But for what? Why free us from sin? Why have us forgiven? He goes on. And made us a kingdom, comma, priests, to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Did you hear that, brothers and sisters? You've already been ordained. Amen. You've already been commissioned as a priest of the Almighty God because you've already been reconciled to him by the death of Jesus Christ. Amen. By his death, you've been made worthy and ordained for the ministry. Well, what kind of ministry are we talking about? Well, picking up on this theme, Hebrews in the New Testament pictures our service like this. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. What is the main thing you do as a priest now? You testify about the greatness of Jesus Christ. You remember 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? Talks about that we, even as the church, have been made a kingdom and priest to our God to do what? To proclaim the excellencies of the one who died for us and rose from the dead. Amen. That we get to say, he forgave me because he's a gracious God. This is what's on our lips now, to acknowledge his name and praise him to the very ends of the earth. But he goes on, what else does a priest look like today? You acknowledge his name, but also he goes on, do not neglect to do good and share what you have, 
For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do good and be generous and testify to the greatness of Jesus Christ. That is your role as a priest this week. And get this, you don't need any special commissioning service. You don't need any further authorization that Jesus has forgiven you and given you His Holy Spirit. His blood has sent you. And this is something that our folks who were serving at the church in southern Chesterfield embodied so well, even as an example for us. Because among the many that went down and ministered to that group of people there, only one of those that went was a commissioned officer of the church, Elder Taylor Turner. And he wasn't even the point person of those that ministered. Namely, James was. And all the others that served alongside of him. But they were, and it's no insult, they were just run-of-the-mill Christians. Or I should say, they were priests as they went down to that fellowship. By the authority of Christ's blood. And what did they do? They shared what they had. Which, what did they have? Nothing besides God's Word that changes hearts, His Holy Spirit, and a love for the body of Christ. And that might seem like, you know, just everyday Christian stuff. Well, that's priestly stuff that ushers people into the throne room of God. By the blood of Christ, you've been commissioned. If you're in Him already, how are you serving? Take the next step. Enjoy fellowship with this God. Verses 26 to 34. This is really the culminating aspect of the service for the priests as they are able to draw so close, they enjoy table fellowship with God. So that now the ram that was originally cut for this ordination offering, it's given over to the priests to actually enjoy it and eat it and sup before God. Look at verse 26. You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, but note the end, and it shall be your portion. It shall be your portion. That is, you're going to get to eat it. This will be a regular part of the meal for the priests going forward. They're going to get to enjoy a meal before God regularly. Look at verse 28. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. And it shall be a contribution from the people of Israel, note this, from their peace offerings, or otherwise called fellowship offerings. This is part of this sacrificial sequence, and it culminates with God supping with his people. Look at verses 31 and 32. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and bread that's in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. You're going to have a party. You're going to sit down at table with God. That's how holy you've been made now. You get to be in his presence. And see the progression we've walked through. The first thing, your relationship with God was separated, wedged because there was sin. So we dealt with that. We had the sin offering. And then in response to his mercy, you dedicate yourself in response and love and worship. That's the whole burnt offering. And now the culmination is you get to enjoy fellowship of this peace offering. You get to actually sup with him. Part of the sacrifice comes on your plate. This is the ultimate picture of camaraderie and unity and acceptance. But for Israel, this was only for a select few. They were depending on the priest to go on their behalf to represent them. But the effective power of the cross has changed all of that. We're now all in Christ are ushered in to the very throne room of God. 
at Jesus' offering, what did we see? The veil was torn apart. Condemnation's gone. Sin is forever put away. So there can now be a direct fellowship between you and Christ, such that He, by His Spirit, lives in you. That's the access that Christ won for you at the cross. And then you got to ask, but are we using it? Are we drawing near to Him by faith? Are we casting our cares on Him? Are we mindful of Him? His Word is true throughout the day. Christ has won you this audience before the holy God. And then I catch myself yawning at it. Making time for so many other things. You know, I'm going to get ahead at work. I'm going to go impress the boss. I'm going to get advanced in school, make sure I get those scholarships, those grades. I'm going to make time for my hobbies to make sure nobody can return my pickleball serve. But what about Christ? You're not going to feel close to God if you ignore him most the whole week. And again, what burdens are we needlessly bearing bearing and laboring under because we have not turned to him in our time of need? He's ready. He's bought it. Christ is there in your time of need, ready to give grace. Don't miss what Christ has won you at the cross. Finally, that sixth step of closeness is really to stay close. And that happens by your constant recalling of your need before God. That this kind of access, though it might be familiar, because we get to walk it moment by moment, it doesn't come easy and it wasn't cheap. Such that the, the next two sets of instructions, they just impress upon us to impress upon the Jews that this closeness with the Holy God, it's not something you can take for granted. It's not something that came easy. First of all, you have these final steps to purify Aaron and his sons and their ordination of the priesthood in verses 35 through 37. And there was to be a sacrifice of this bull, and that was going to atone for the priest. It was also going to uh, purify the and make atonement for the altar. But the thing is, unlike what we've seen so far, it wasn't to be done once. Uh, or not twice, but seven times for a week is what it cost to make atonement here. Look at verse 35. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I've commanded you. Through seven days you shall ordain them, and every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. And you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to consecrate it. Here's the lesson. Seven days of sacrifices was to teach Israel. Seven days of atonement. Seven days of a bull dying just underscored, God is holy and you are not. I'm going to bring you in close, but don't forget, it is costly to get this close to a holy God when you're a rebel like you. And it's interesting, because much the same way, once the priests are commissioned, this is their ministry. They're going to be teaching that to Israel every day. Look at this. The final paragraph at 29 turns to the priest's regular offering. So once they're finally ordained, what are they going to be about? What are they going to do? They're going to be offering blood sacrifices every day, twice a day. Look at verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. One in the morning, one at night. Verse 39. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And for how long? How long shall we do this? You never let up. 
Look at verse 42. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you. To get near this God, what's it going to cost? What's it going to cost for him to dwell in your midst and then speak with you? Two lambs a day, perpetually. That's 60 lambs a month. 720 lambs a year. That's a whole lot of blood being spilled. And get this, you can't do it all at once. You know, it's like when you're going to make freezer meals for your family for the week, right? And you make all of them at one time, and then you put them all in the freezer, and you pull them out when you need them. That's not how this works. you got to do it every day. Every day, there's another sacrifice. Day after day, another offering. Day after day, there's another death for me happening today. Because that's what it costs to be near this God. Looking on verse 43 through 46. There, at this bloody altar, I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. Verse 44. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. This was the whole point of the Exodus, wasn't it? He tells us. And they shall know that I am Yahweh, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. Why? The whole point is that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh, their God. This was the whole point of coming out of Egypt. But he will only dwell with them. He can only dwell with them. If there's a regular stream of blood covering that altar. They can never forget what it cost. It cost a lot of blood because you have a lot of sin. And that's something, too, we can never forget. So we don't have an altar anymore. We talked about it. Praise God. There was one sacrifice, and he is perfected for all time. Hebrews 10, 14 says, the being sanctified. So if you're in Christ, it is done. And yet, Jesus in his wisdom, what did he do? He gave us the Lord's table, didn't he? Why? Because it's all about remembering. Remember what I've done. Until he comes, we need to remember we have no standing with God except for the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how do we stay close? Don't forsake the assembling together. Don't forsake the Lord's table. But come regularly confessing your sins, seeing you can only draw near by his blood. Well, how can I get at this, though, personally each day? Because we don't gather but once a week, and we only celebrate the Lord's table once a month. What kind of things can I be doing to remind my soul to stay close to Christ's cross, to always remember His work? In other words, how do I, practically speaking, as we say, preach the gospel to myself every day? And uh, I'm pointing you to Jerry Bridges and Mr. Bevington. They wrote a book bookends of the Christian life, and they give what I found just one really helpful strategy. They personalize gospel promises to themselves, and they even put their own sins that they've committed over the past day into them, reminding them of these things every day. They put it like this. This is why each morning the two of us set it, start our day by preaching the gospel to ourselves. We meditate on gospel promises by personalizing them in light of the sins we committed the previous day. And so then, let me give you some of the examples. They start off every day to say, 
God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's from Luke 18, verse 13. But then we turn to Sunday, the first day of the week. And they suggest this. They take Isaiah 53, but then they personalize it. But he was wounded for my transgressions of... Well, what transgressions have you maybe even already had this morning? Put it in there. He was wounded for my transgressions of anger. He was crushed for my iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought me peace. It's personal. With his stripes, I am healed. Like a sheep, I've gone astray. I have turned to my own way. And the Lord has laid on him my iniquity. Let's turn to Monday. He takes this time Micah 7. says this. He will again have compassion on me. He will tread my iniquities of lust underfoot. You will cast all my sins into the depths of the sea. Let's try Tuesday. Blessed am I whose lawless deeds of, what do you got this morning? Pride? Well, they're forgiven. My sins are covered. Blessed am I against whom the Lord will not count my sin. Let's try Wednesday. There is therefore now no condemnation for laziness for me as one who is in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Or Thursday. And I, who was dead in my trans- trespasses of selfishness and the uncircumcision of my flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven me all my trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against him with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, Colossians 2. Let's go for Friday. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove my transgressions of bitterness from me. They're no longer associated with me, Psalm 103. Saturday. Though my sins of envy, of doubt, are like scarlet, they shall become white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will become like wool. Isaiah chapter 1. And every day they finish with, Christ's work for me is finished. John 19 verse 30. Because don't you see what they're doing? Christ's death is like a key that unlocks all of these promises for you in the gospel. So brothers and sisters, let your gospel remembrances take personal applications of those promises. That's how you will draw close to this God. Because get this, what's this remind us? Our sin is real, but it's been really dealt with at the cross of Christ. So may it be said of his people, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let us never forget. Let's pray together. Indeed, Father, may we never forget and never stop boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, Thank you for these meditations and pictures we've seen in Exodus 29 and how beautiful it is to have a substitute, but not a mere animal, but you, the Lord Jesus, giving your life for ours. And now calling us by name into the throne room of God, not for discipline like in the principal's office, but embraced and loved. Uh, That's only because of what you've done. And may we then, as people going out this week, as really priests, testify to the greatness of our Christ. 
in whose name we pray. Amen.